Hello and welcome to The Pulse. Later in the show, China's new national security law, promulgated on July 1st, defines its national security interests as ranging from outer space to the Arctic and Antarctic polar regions. And yet, the government says we shouldn't be worried about its possible effect on Hong Kong. And we talked to Yukio Hatayama, Sien of a major political family, career politician, and for nine months, Prime Minister of Japan. But first, Greece's financial woes may be dominating European headlines, but in the eyes of many people, a much bigger concern for the world's economy could be the turbulence in China's stock markets and what looked like some ham-fisted attempts by the country's leadership to control it. Both of China's stock exchanges lost over 30% of their value in the past six weeks. Yet they remain trading at prices higher than those seen a year ago. This is not to understate the brutality of the market plunge, nor the pain especially inflicted on investors who borrow money to buy shares. The plunge in prices quickly spread to Hong Kong, Japan and had an impact on other international markets. China wants to liberalize the markets to encourage economic growth. To that end, Chinese leaders have encouraged people to invest and thus contributed to the price bubble. The rising stock market provides a useful story for China's ruling Communist Party, which understands that much of its legitimacy depends on people feeling more prosperous. A crash like this in the market where 80% of participants are individual retail investors is particularly worrying for the government. This is why it launched an unprecedented series of measures to push prices back up. They include a massive suspension of listings, pouring liquidity into the banking system to stimulate share buying, ordering state banks and funds to enter the market with big buy orders, and stipulating that these shares should not then be sold. Meanwhile, all new initial public offerings or IPOs were put on hold. The problem is that markets don't tend to react well to government interference, and the ham-handedness of some of these moves, initially at least, had the effect of trying to put out a fire with gasoline. The longer-term consequences could be even more serious. The Chinese market is one of the most regulated in the world, with strong restrictions on foreign investment. That hasn't stopped the Chinese government and media from pointing the finger of blame for the crash on shady foreign forces and investigating short selling or gambles on share prices falling that are in fact legal but are now being probed not by financial regulators but by the Ministry of Public Security. Well, with us in the studio, a stockbroker, Francis Lun, and Li Shi, assistant professor in the Department of Accounting of the Hong Kong University of Science and Technology. Francis Lun, can I come to you first? Yes. <coughs> Were you in any way surprised by the fact that the market collapsed in the way it did? Definitely not, because uh, the market started rising last November, and in a very, very short time, it shot more than double. So. And then when you have uh, in the May and June, the people were talking price to dream. 
And then you have the, the median P-E ratio or price-to-earning ratio of the uh, Asia stocks being 85 times. That so, means the price would take 85 uh, times uh, to match the actual 85 earnings of the years, company. Not 85 years, oh. so, so you're talking about stratospheric valuations. Uh, those are unsustainable levels. When you have that kind of ridiculous valuation, when the market is shut up by so much, of course, the smart money will take the, the people will take the money and run and take profit, and that's exactly what happened starting in June. Now, obviously, the market, as we all know, went down over thirty percent. But yeah. with the government intervention on all these many fronts, mm -hmm. it, it's now yeah, gaining that, ground. Yeah, but I mean, course. I want to ask you whether that government intervention carries with it dangers as well as stabilization. Yeah, definitely. The market can and it go up and it cannot go down. What kind of market is that? That is that is a market by command instead of a free market. So China is not a free market. The danger is once you interfere with the market, you you have to support the market for eternity. Because uh, market goes up and down like economic cycles. We, every, every 10 years we experience a crash and then a bull market. And, and with the market, with the government's intervention, you stop all that. So now the level is 4,500, it's always like that. And then you have some ridiculous situation right now. If you're a buyer of uh, uh, Asia ETF, okay, normally you can buy and sell and you can redeem. Right now, you cannot redeem because the government stopped you from selling. <laughs> so, so it's a three-step backward for a free market. I think it, it is certainly not a good way to move ahead. Well, let me come to you, Lishi. I mean, there must be people in the central government who understand that precisely the things that Francis has been talking about. Why, why do you think they intervened on this unprecedented level? Uh, this is actually quite a critical moment. I think it's sort of like the Nima moment for China. Uh, I don't. I do think they should intervene at this moment. I might have, uh, you know, to disagree slightly with uh, Francis, but I totally agree with the Francis that they shouldn't have got the market into this place. They shouldn't have got themselves into the the place. Uh, the the issue, the key issue, is leverage. So they have this, uh, you know, not only just uh, financing, uh, you know, margin financing in the shadow and also in the brokerage area, but also a lot of the Chinese banks have those wealth management products where they invest as preferred portion, which means principal protected portion, into mutual funds or into hedge funds. And that's matched by risky capital. And the now risk capital, because of the, you know, as Francis said, when it drops, it drops 10% maximum, but there is no liquidity. Nobody can sell. What is the knock-on? I mean, it, it, it seems reasonably clear what might happen in the stock market but we've got we've got the property market we've got not to mention the wider economy the biggest i think the channel will be the banks banks is basically the blood vessel of the economy right so if banks think about the wealth management product that's just like those uh, um there's similar products that uh, you know for example u.s banks had before the 08 crisis right so where they have kind of invested the money of institutions into uh, things like, uh, you know, subprime, but A-level subprime, right? Or high-yield bonds, but it's A-level, class A from the high yields. And then when suddenly the market drops, 
we find those are worthless. Whether you're A or B or C, doesn't matter, right? And then the banks basically have to put all those things back to their balance sheet. They have to pay the investors because of the otherwise investors will be, you know, in protest, in, in riot. Certainly, I think, should cut off the linkage to the banks. That's one thing. And second, freeze everyone so that there is no one, right? So any of those people who are being, you know, uh, closing accounts and all that on the margin accounts should have a right to stay for the moment uh, before the panic you know, disappears. Now, now, before all of this happened, mm -hmm. China was talking a great deal yeah. about opening up its markets yes, to international right. investors, to, to making Chinese stocks much more tradable. Yeah. What, what do you think will be the effect of what's happened in the past few days on all of that? Well, as I just said, it's like three steps backward. It will, it will push the liberalization, the internationalization of the China stock market at least by a decade, <laughs> because who would want to invest in the market when the, the only way is up, you cannot <laughs> sell. <laughs> this is the ridiculous situation, and so, uh, you have to be able to freely trade your s stock securities, otherwise it, it is not a free market. And so I, I, I think the government really should really take a hard look on, on what they are doing now and, and, and then get out of the market as soon as possible. Do you think that's entirely possible? They will be able to. Uh, but the key here is, you know, we talked about the bipolar of states of Chinese stock market. Either it's up or down, either it's fear or greed. It's only in these two states, right? <laughs> so that's kind of the problem. If government is able to support, lift the market to a certain level, panic disappears. Mm -hmm. Then, you know, you know the, the, the greed starts to set in very quickly. And if they still allow margin, now they relax the margin requirement and everything, market could even go quick and fast up. Right. And then out of control. When that happens, you know, nobody may have, you know, no one may, may have the resource to, to backstop the market. Well, that's, gentlemen, that's we're it. out of time. Thank you very much indeed. And we'll be back after the break. Welcome back. July 1st marks the 18th anniversary of Hong Kong's return to Chinese rule. It also marks the adoption with immediate effect of a swinging new national security law. This law covers a range of issues from finance, politics, the military and cyber security to ideology and religion. And for the first time, it stipulates that Hong Kong and Macau have obligations to fulfill responsibilities to safeguard national security. On July 1st, the Standing Committee of the National People's Congress passed China's new national security law. The law stated, for the first time, that the residents and government of the HKSAR have a shared obligation identical to that of mainland residents regarding national security. This has raised local concerns about its impact on Hong Kong's own security laws. We are supposed to observe only one duty, which is the laws of Hong Kong. Obviously, this national security law imposed an extra duty for Hong Kong people, which is beyond the scope of the basic law. It is um, uh, a piece of uh, national law. Uh, it doesn't apply uh, to Hong Kong. Uh, naturally, Hong Kong is part of the country, uh, has the resp responsibility and obligation 
to protect the security of the country. But this is done through local, local legislation in accordance with uh, Article 23 of the Basic Law. And this uh, Hong Kong SCR government does not have any plan to enact uh, Article 23 local legislation. Under Article 23 of the Basic Law, Hong Kong has an obligation to enact its own laws to protect national security. The problem is that this could impinge on freedoms of speech and expression that are much cherished in Hong Kong. A previous attempt to introduce such legislation led to an estimated 500,000 people taking to the streets in protest. Although Lan Chung Ying says there is no current plan to legislate under Article 23, there are concerns that the national laws could be added to the basic law. This national security law is supposed to be uh, uh, effective only in mainland China, yet people can always think of extending it in a temporary basis, in a provisional basis, extend it to Hong Kong. And there's another concern. What happens when an individual takes part in protests or in activities that are legal in Hong Kong but illegal on the mainland? Could they be arrested under the national security law if they visit the mainland? If people like me who shouted uh, end of one party state, uh, would, if, if, if I go back to China, I would be arrested. What we are worried about is that uh, this will infringe on the freedom of speech uh, of Hong Kong the, and the one country, two system, it, because uh, it seems to regulate my action in Hong Kong. The national security law is a bit of a catch-all law, covering areas that include the military, the economy, cybersecurity and religion. The day it was announced, Hong Kong Pastor Wu was summoned to Shenzhen by officials of the Religious Affairs Bureau. The officials warned him not to encourage mainlanders to take part in instruction in Christianity within Hong Kong, as doing so would violate the mainland's regulations on religious affairs. He's concerned that his summoning may be related to the new national security law. It's like a, um, a knife hanging on our uh, head that we don't know when it will chop down. And that is something that we are worried about. And this new national security law uh, should not be used against the people of Hong Kong and we should uh, come out with very clear uh, opposition uh, to using the law in Hong Kong. Well, in terms of security issues, Japan and China have long been thorns in one another's sides. These wounds stretch from the two Sino-Japanese wars to ongoing disputes over islands in the East China Sea. Last month, we spoke to former Japanese Prime Minister Yukio Hatayama, who during his nine months in office tried to improve relations between the two nations.
戦争には勝ち負けはないと思っています勝ち負けではなくて戦争をすること自体がもうお互いに負けだという認識が必要ではないかと思います。Yukio Hatoyama comes from a prominent Japanese political family. His father, Lichiro Hatoyama, served as foreign minister for a year in 1976. His grandfather, Ichiro Hatoyama, was prime minister from 1954 to 1956. Our grandfather, Mr. 鳩山の家に生まれたから政治家になりたいと思ったわけではありませんしむしろ政治家になることは嫌いでありました総理までになったというのはこれは時代の流れ要請したからだとそう思っています私たち日本人が日本人であるということにどのぐらい誇りを持っていたのかとなんか誇りを持って愛国国を愛するということをあまり表に出せない時代ではなかったかと思っていますを留学して感じましたその時から将来やはり政治の世界に足を踏み入れるべきではないかという気持ちになったのです In 2009, Hatoyama became the first prime minister from the Democratic Party of Japan a centralist political party that he and his brother co-created in 1996 But his failure to fulfill his election pledge, particularly breaking the promise to close the American military base in Okinawa, led to his resignation in 2010, after just nine months in office. His appearance, mannerisms, and his alienation from other old style Japanese politicians earned him the nickname ET or the Alien. <laughs> 呼ばれることを決して嫌っておりませんそれはあの多分みんなが私を宇宙人というのはそれは政治家としてはある意味ででも私は宇宙人というのは地球人は宇宙人ですし宇宙人の方が地球を外から眺めてより対極的に判断ができるんじゃないかと He aimed to make foreign policy more transparent He shifted Japan from more America-centric policy to a more Asian-focused policy. He lobbied for close relations with other East Asian countries and pushed for a free trade zone in Asia by 2020. During his term, relations between Japan and China warmed up. He promised not to make ritual offerings at the Yasukuni Shrine, honoring what China regards to be war criminals. Post-war. We started out on our path, bearing in mind feelings of deep remorse over the war. どうも戦争で傷つけた側というものは傷つけられた側は永久にその傷は残るわけでございます戦争に敗れた国としてあるいは戦争を起こして戦争に敗れた国として
傷つけた相手の方々がもういいよと心の中できちんとした謝罪する気持ちを持つことはこれは当然のことだと思っています。本来ならば日本が攻められてた時に初めて自衛力を使えるんですが危ないなと思ったら向こうが攻めなくてもこちら側から攻めることができるような環境にしていくというような法案が今議論されていることは今安倍政権が動こうとしているそこに私は大変大きな懸念を感じています。And I'm afraid that's all we have time for this week. Don't forget that if you've missed part of the show, want to see more or even see it again, you can go to the RTHK website. You can also chat to us on our Facebook page, RTHK's The Pulse. We'll leave you with images of Amos Yee leaving court in Singapore on Monday after being sentenced to four weeks jail for obscene internet postings and wounding Christian feelings. Others see this as a straightforward case of freedom of speech. Before his release, Yee was sent to mental hospital for two weeks for mandatory treatment. We'll see you next week. Goodbye. Come and sing a simple song of freedom. Sing it like you've never sung before. Let it fill the air, tell the people everywhere. We, the people here, don't want.